whether we know it or not, 2020 is finally upon us, right? I've talked to a lot of us, and it seems like this year, uh, more than many years in the past, has gone by so quickly, right? Uh, it feels like 2019 had just started. In fact, it's crazy to think that this entire decade has come to a close, right? Uh, it was just yesterday, there was uh, 2,000. I was looking at a lot of these old photos. A lot of websites are having these uh, articles where it's showing just how much has changed over the last 10 years or so. You guys think that flip phones were still around just 10 years ago. And now we've gone into a completely new era of transformation with uh, the smartphones we have today. Uh, hairstyles have changed a lot, right? I look back at 10 years ago and think, wow, I can't believe I even went outside with a haircut. Uh, but, you know, uh, the Lord does redeem. And so he's changed even me here. Uh, you know, I think a lot, even as Tim was saying this morning, uh, when we come to the new year, especially when we're entering something like a new decade, uh, we like to do a lot of reflection, right? We like to think about what the good and the bad was of the past year. We want to uh, look ahead to the future. And I think for my family in particular, uh, we've never really been big on New Year's resolutions. I think in part for myself, knowing I'm never going to meet any of them. But I think it is important and helpful uh, to do some reflection, right? You think about what are some of the things we'd like to see improved on in our lives? What are some things that we'd like to change? Uh, I know for myself and many of the leaders and pastors here, uh, we're often thinking about how can we as CBC also grow as a church body? I love to think to myself, you know, when a new person comes into our midst, when, you, when someone's coming in for the very first time, what do they really see? Right? What is our church really like? What are we known for? What kind of culture do we have here? When, when someone comes in for the first time, what do they feel and experience? And in light of that, how can we as a church really seek to grow? Right? What does it look like to be a Bible-believing, a God-honoring church, and how can we improve in that area? And I think as I'm thinking about our congregation specifically, one area that I think we can really continue to grow in, and I think would really please the Lord, is the area of thankfulness. What does it look like to be thankful for all that we have? And as I was, I was thinking about this topic, it made me think about this movie that I saw many, many years ago. It was this movie about this a spoiled young kid who grew up in the city. Right? He had everything that he could ever want, spoiled by his very rich parents. But unfortunately, uh, he was sent off to the countryside to live with his grandmother. Right? So you have this city boy who knows nothing but the luxuries of the city life and, and sent off to the countryside where there's almost nothing. And it's made even harder because his grandmother was actually mute. Right? She couldn't speak. And so you're seeing in this whole story how this boy is struggling with just adjusting to this whole different life. But the one scene that I remember more than any other was how this guy was really craving fried chicken. Right? That comes to mind because I personally love fried chicken as well. None of you know that. Uh, but it was here where, you know, he's trying to adjust and the grandmother's trying to do everything she can to help him really enjoy his new life. And he's pointing to the sign of fried chicken. I think it was like KFC. And so you see this wonderful grandmother do everything she can to try to make it for her grandson. All right, they're living in the middle of nowhere. You can't just go to a store, and this is a very poor area. And so you see this, this barrage of scenes where the, the grandmother is walking to the nearest town. You know, she goes and with her very re, uh, meager resources, buys a small chicken and brings it back to her house. Uh, off screen, you see how she kills the chicken and starts to prepare it. And then she calls the grandson in. Right? And she can't even speak. She's mute. So she's pointing to this picture where the grandson knows he's going to get some kind of chicken, right? And he thinks it's like KFC. And then once she opens up the, the veil, he sees that it's this very simple boiled chicken. 
right? The grandmother didn't have the resources or ability to actually fry something, but she did her very best to make what she thought looked like what her grandson wanted. And in a storm of a tantrum, the grandson got so angry, right? Because he thought he was going to get KFC. And so he knocks over the bowl and it falls off the table. And it's this tragic, tragic thing, right? You see how much the, the grandmother's trying to do her best to, to care for her grandson. And, and yet this guy doesn't seem to even care. And I know that most of us are not a young Chinese boy from the city. But I think that we too can have that similar kind of demeanor, right? We can have this posture of ingratitude and thanklessness. And what's amazing, I think, about us in 2019, almost 2020, is how we as people, we as Americans, can complain about the smallest of things. Right? That we have so much in this country, so much that God has given us, and yet we can, we can complain and grumble about every little thing. Uh, this week, uh, my family was actually off on vacation, and it was amazing. We went to this buffet that had over 300 items to choose from, right? All sorts of variety, everything you can want from every different ethnic cuisine. But what I found myself thinking, I didn't say it out loud, was this prime rib is subpar, right? I was sitting there in a buffet full of all the food all across the world, thinking to myself, I don't really like this. I've had better. Right? The fries aren't that salty. The, the drinks are a little watered down. The espresso really is an espresso. And I sat there with all this great food, complaining about it inside my mind. And I know this is something a lot of us do, right? I mean, think about you if you were traveling to see family in different states. You, know, you were probably on an airplane. And though if you think how magical that experience is, that you're, you're flying in this giant cylinder of steel— so many people walk through the TSA thinking, why is this so slow, right? Why are there so many people traveling? Why do I have to take my shoes off? And though it's amazing, right? Many of us get to see family that we haven't seen all year. How amazing it is to see relatives that you know by blood or spiritually. That I still go on Facebook, right? And there's people that are complaining of how high the gas prices are. Right? We as, as Americans, though we have a lot, there's a lot to be grateful for. Uh, we can so often be obsessed with, I think, complaining. And the problem especially is I think that we as Christians oftentimes don't look any different than the world in this regard. Right? That as Christians, God has called us to give thanks. That one of the marks of a true believer is a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving to our God because we realize that everything we have is truly a gift from the Lord. And yet so often we don't look any different than the world. That we can grumble, we can complain about the same things that the non-believing world does. And so as we're looking at the year 2020, as we're looking ahead to this next year, I want to look at the topic of thanksgiving. Right? What should we as Christians be marked by? That as we as Calvary Bible Church, as the world sees us, as newcomers come in, I hope and I pray that we as Christians will be marked by the spirit of thanksgiving. It's an interesting thing, thanksgiving is. Right? If you've grown up in a Christian home, many of you pray three times a day before your meals. Right, we'll sit before a wonderful piping hot meal and we'll pray to God saying, thank you so much for giving us this food. And if you're praying every single day, three times a year, that ends up being 1,095 times that we do this very act. Right? It's built into our DNA as Christians. But I often wonder how much are we actually thinking about what we're doing? 
right? It's very much part of our tradition. It's very much a habit. But as we are thanking the Lord 1,095 times a year, how much of it do we really mean? How much of it is really coming from the depths of our hearts? And how much of it is just this tradition that we've picked up over the years? Because as Christians, we are supposed to be marked by thanksgiving, and yet it must be something that is informed with a true heart, right? It's not just tradition. It's not just a habit. It must be because we are truly grateful for the Lord. And I think because of how important this topic is, I think that we can look at thanksgiving even after Christmas. Because it's important to know what it is that the Bible says about this topic, And I hope and pray that we as Calvary would be known as a church, as believers of thanksgiving. And so just as our brother Tim read this morning, we're actually just going to be looking at one verse. It's a very famous verse. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And it reads as follows. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, uh, we are just so humbled by what you have given us. As we look at your word, the treasure trove of riches and of grace, that we are in awe that you have come and revealed yourself to us. This morning, God, I pray that you would help us to truly understand what it is that you have said here. That we as believers, that we would give thanks to you. We would recognize all that comes from you. Not out of tradition, not out of habit but from a heart of gratitude and of worship. And we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So many of you know about this letter. Um, I, what I love about 1 Thessalonians is just how positive it is. Uh, many of you know the Apostle Paul. Many of you have read his letters. And if you read most of the epistles, you see that he's generally addressing huge issues in the church, right? You go to the, the letter of 1 Corinthians and you see that they're just filled with problems. And Paul is blasting them, saying, you need to stop doing this and start doing this. You must live according to the ways of God. And you look at the letter to the Galatians, and they have these huge doctrinal issues. They were rejecting uh, salvation by grace through faith alone. And so in most of his letters, he's trying to go after all these serious, dire issues. But what I love about the letter to the Thessalonians, and the first one, is how positive it generally is. Right? They're actually a group of believers. They didn't have any serious issues. But as you see in the first three chapters, they're actually very much following after what Paul has told them to do. Right? He's saying that, I, I was worried that Satan might, might attack you and, and trick you away from the gospel that you first believed in. But through Timothy's report, I am so grateful that you have not fled away. Right? They're very much a faithful church. And there was the one issue, the the question of what is going to happen in Christ's second coming. Those who have died, will they be raised as well? And so Paul addresses that. But the majority of his letter is truly just encouraging them to excel still more. You have done everything that we have called you to do. You are obeying the Lord, but excel still more. Pursue excellence and steadfastness still more. And so after giving the the instructions or the teachings about God's second coming, Christ's second coming, when you turn to chapter 5, Paul is explaining how do you prepare for that coming? How do you live in light of Christ's return? And it's in that first 11 verses that you see that explained. And then in chapter 5, verse 12 to verse 22, Paul is giving very general instructions. 
He's saying in light of Christ's return, in light of the fact that we know that the dead are going to be raised, this is how you as the church should live. And as Tim was reading just this morning during our announcement time, you see how he's giving all sorts of different kinds of instructions. He's not trying to target one specific issue. He's saying in general, this is how you should live. All of the different ways. And in the midst of how we should live, we have our verse, verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And if you're taking notes, we're just going to see this as three factors to consider as we think about what it means to give thanks. Very simply, just three factors. And if you're looking at this verse, there's really three different parts we're going to look at. Uh, First of all, we're going to see how thanksgiving is comprehensive. Thanksgiving is comprehensive. It starts off here in verse 18, in everything give thanks. That word everything is a very generalist word. Uh, It's really the broadest kind of scope you can imagine. When he's saying in everything, Paul is trying to say there is no restriction to its reference. Right? All things, all that is. In everything, give thanks. That is, in all things, give thanks. In all situations, in all facets of life, in every state of life, give thanks for everything that you have. And notice the placement of that phrase here, right? Paul doesn't say give thanks in everything, which would have been the very normal way to explain it. But as you see in the NASB, he switches the order. He says, in everything, give thanks. In other words, he's trying to draw an emphasis to that point. Paul is saying, look at the breadth and the width of how much I want you to give thanks to God for. And that's very, very intentional. He is saying, first of all, that we as Christians, we should give thanks to God for everything. And we recognize that all things come from God. I think many of us here uh, work nine to five jobs or we all work in some kind of capacity. You know, many, maybe 30 or 40 or 50 weeks, uh, uh, 40 hours a week. Uh, But I bet you that when you get your paycheck every single week, uh, you don't write a letter to the payroll person, do you? I'm sure most of you, like, you know, you get your check. Maybe it's a direct deposit or you're given an actual check. You don't go up to the payroll account and say, thank you so much for this, for this check. And in fact, I'm so grateful. I'm going to name my firstborn child after you. Many of us hopefully will not do something like that, right? Because when it comes to our salary, we earn that check. Right? You earn whatever money you're going to get. And so you don't go to someone and say, oh, I'm so grateful for this, right? Because you earn it. You deserve it. But the idea here, what Paul is trying to draw is that we are supposed to give thanks to God for everything because he is the source of all that we have. Right? God is the one who has given us all that we have. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. That's a passage where where James is warning the believer against trials. And the danger is that we as Christians, when we go through trials, we can say, that is from God. He's, He's giving us bad things. And in response, James flips the script. He's saying, no, no, you don't understand. It is every good and perfect gift that comes from God. That is that all things which are not sin, all good things are from God who is perfect. That is the God of lights. We recognize that every good thing we have in this life is from God. 
And you see this also in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, that giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to give thanks to God for everything because all that is not sin that comes from God, it is an undeserved gift. And that is a concept that we really need to work on, right? I mean, it's amazing how different we as Americans are living in this totally different world than most of the world. Uh, if you think about it, if you've studied history, we today have more resources, more things than any other royal king did in the last two, 3,000 years, right? For, for most kings or most royalty, it would be amazing to have fresh bread that was like half a day old or one day old. And yet for us today, you can get fresh bread whenever you want. We have so much more than we realize. I first realized this many years ago, too. My family, we used to go down to this orphanage in Tijuana. Uh, we would help out about once a month just with the, the kids that were there, uh, you know, offering different lessons and Bible schools and things of that nature. And one of the things that always stuck out in my mind is every once in a while, right, we would want to treat the kids uh, with something nice. And so we would order them pizza. Right, there was this uh, company, it wasn't Domino's or Pizza, it was a local one. And so we would order them pizza every once in a while. And I still remember the first time that I saw the, the pizza guy come. Right? He would come on this motorcycle with like 10 giant boxes behind him. But I remember that so clearly. Because as this pizza guy would, would drive in, everyone would stop and just cheer. Right? They, were, they were sitting down waiting for the food to come. And when it would come in, everyone erupted in applause. They were shouting. They were cheering. They were so excited. And, and that's just stuck out to me, right? I mean, I looked at it. It was pizza. It wasn't even that good of pizza. <laughs> and yet you saw how these people were reacting. It was so foreign to what I was used to being here in this country. But in that, you see the difference that we face here, Right? Most of the world does not have that much. Everything that we have here, if you're living in Burbank or Sun Valley or any of the surrounding areas, even if you consider yourself poor, so to speak, you have more than 99.9% of the world. And as one author writes, he calls this the dark side of abundance. That is that when you have so much, as much as we do, we don't even realize how much we have. We don't realize how blessed we are. Because for most people all across the world, when they have their next meal, they truly say, God, this is from you. I am so grateful that you have given me this meal because I don't know what's going to happen for dinner. And yet we in our culture, we in our abundance, we just assume that everything is ours. We are entitled to what we have. And therefore, we don't understand when Paul says, give thanks in everything. We don't understand that. We can't even comprehend that. We have the spirit of entitlement. And so as Christians, we must be intentional. We must be thinking and recognizing that what we have in this life is not ours to own. That truly everything in this life is from the God of lights. That it is from the Lord. And so we must thank him for that. I would encourage you sometime this week, take out a sheet of paper and just start writing down everything that you have. You can start off writing the meals that you had in the last week, the, the, the types of clothing you have. And I'm sure that you would be amazed at how long that list would get. Right? So many of us can get in the spirit of kind of grumbling or, or even feeling like we don't have enough. Right? Write down what you have and spend just like an hour doing that. 
And if you do that, you will be in awe if you say everything on this list comes from the Lord. Every single thing on this list, from the pair of socks that I'm wearing to my toothpaste, that is from God because that is exactly how we as Christians should view life. That Paul is saying we must give thanks in everything because we recognize that all things come from the Lord. Everything is a blessing from God. And it's something that we need to work very intentionally for. But even more so, right, we need to thank God, first of all, for all that he's given us. But especially as Christians, we should be thanking him for all that he's done for us, right? Our, our spiritual blessings. I mentioned before that right now in my ministries, we're going through the letter to the Ephesians. It's an amazing, amazing epistle. And one of the, the key focuses in that letter is Paul is trying to explain all of the blessings that God has given us. Right? That is, if you are a Christian, look at all the ways that God has worked in us, has changed us. And I've been in awe just as we're reading through this letter. Right? The fact that God has redeemed us. He has purchased us for himself, those who did not belong. That though we were aliens and strangers, he has now reconciled us to himself. Though we had no connection to him, though we were enemies, he has now made us his sons and daughters. He has brought us into his family. And you can go on and on in that letter how we now have all of the privileges of God's people. And so I thought, if you look at this one letter, if you look at Ephesians that way, what would happen if you took all of the New Testament, right? If you start going through every single letter thinking, what has God done for us? What is it that God has given us? How has God saved us? And just like that first list, I imagine you would be appalled. You would be in awe. You would be awestruck just as how much God has done for us because it is truly incalculable. It is amazing. It is abundant what God has done in his salvific work. And that's why if you want to understand how to grow in thanksgiving to God, you need to grow in your theology. You need to read the Bible. You need to understand what it is that God has done. Because the more you see, the more you taste and see what God has done for us in his salvific work, to that extent, you will grow in thanksgiving. We are called to be thankful to God, not simply because it's a command, but because we see what God has done. And we give thanks in everything, in all states of life, including what he has done through Jesus Christ on the cross. I remember when we talk about the idea of thanksgiving, one thing that we often hear is, how can you honestly give thanks when life is hard? Right? The problem of pain is a very real problem. It's a very real question that people ask. In the midst of a loved one going through cancer, struggling financially, or someone going through a hard time, how can you be grateful during those times? How can you thank God during those times? And the answer given to us in Scripture is that you have to look beyond circumstances. Right? Let me just give you a couple passages. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul writes this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is saying that when you go through hard times, when, when they're being persecuted or going through trials, you can't look at just this life, right? Because this life is fading. This life is transient. And as long as you look at this life, you will indeed be messed up by this world. But instead, look to the things that are eternal. 
Look to the things that will not pass away. See all that God has given us. He's saying, look at the spiritual reality that you stand in. That you as a Christian, you have been redeemed. That you know that you're going to see, that you are going to see God face to face. That you now have salvation by grace through faith. Dwell on that. And when you do, then you can deal with the hardships of this life. Don't focus on what's going on here. The reason you can thank God, the reason that we can give thanks even in hard times is because we are looking to the things which are eternal. That's exactly what the author of Hebrews says. He says in Hebrews 12 too, looking to Jesus, the, per, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was looking at the suffering that he was about to endure. Right? He knew that he was going to go through the worst of pain, the worst of agony, so much so that when he was in the garden, he was sweating blood out of stress. And yet this preacher, this author says that Jesus saw the joy that was set before him. That is that though he was about to go through the worst possible agony, the the greatest of sufferings, he looked to the joy that was set before him. He knew the result of what he was going to do. He knew that this was good for him. It was the greatest of glories. And so even though he was going to suffer, Jesus could still give thanks at his last supper. He knew the perfection and the glories of what he was going to accomplish. And so in the same way, we as Christians, the reason we're called to give thanks in everything, the reason that we can give thanks even in hard times, is not because life is going to be perfect. It's not because you're going to live your best life now and everything on this earth is going to be great. The reason you can give thanks in all things, even the hardest of circumstances, is because we dwell on the truth. We dwell on what is coming for sure. We dwell on the life that we now have in God that we know we will uh, will have fully when he comes back. And that is why we can give thanks in everything. Thanksgiving should be a way of life for the believer. If we truly are Christians, it should be something that we do regularly and habitually. But also we need to grow in our thanksgiving. Because God, secondly, has commanded it, right? Thanksgiving is comprehensive in the sense that we are supposed to give thanks for all things. But God has also commanded us to give thanks. Or looking back at our verse, in everything give thanks, that's a verb and a command, for this is God's will for you. You know, I talk with a lot of people especially young people. And one thing you often hear is, you know, what does God want me to do, right? If I just had a vision from the sky, if God just spoke to me in a dream and he said, I want you to marry this person, I'll do it. If God told me to take that job, I'll do it. And so many people, especially young people, but even older people are wondering, what does God want me to do, right? What is God's will for my life? If he would just tell me, I would be able to do it, no problem. And the great thing is God has given us his will. All throughout scripture, you, you hear Paul say, God's will is this. God's will is that. And here in our verse, you see what God's will is for our lives. That one of the things God wants us to do for sure is to give thanks to him. Like Thanksgiving is not an option. Thanksgiving is actually something that's been commanded of us. 
As you hear in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It is a command that we thank God. We are ordered to do that if we are truly Christians. And one of the reasons that this is commanded, besides the fact that God is the one who's given all that we don't deserve, is because thanksgiving is actually a form of worship. Hopefully some of you guys remember from our summer series, how we're looking at what the church is supposed to be. What do we as Calvary Bible Church look like? And one of the things that we saw is that we are supposed to be a church of worship. And hopefully if you remember back then, we were talking about how worship is really just giving God the praise, the honor, and the glory that he deserves. Right, that we, we see him for who he is and we assent to that. We recognize that and we praise God for that. It's as we saw in Isaiah 6.3, that as the seraphim, the holy angels in God's presence would say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Right? Worship is assenting to who God is, seeing his character and his nature and honoring him for that, elevating him in our mind, in our speech, and from our hearts. And what you see is that thanksgiving is part of worship. Right? Think about what thanksgiving is, right? You are thanking God. You are saying all of these things come from you, and then you are praising him for it. Deep down, when you are thanking God, you are saying, Lord, I recognize that this, whatever I am thanking you for, is from you. It's not something I deserve. And because of that, you get all the glory. Intrinsically, that is what thanksgiving is. That's how you really break down the idea of thanksgiving. And what you see is that our thanks to God is a form of worship to him. All right, 2 Corinthians 4.15. For it is all for your sake. That as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. In other words, as Paul is proclaiming the gospel, as believers are proclaiming the gospel and fulfilling the great commission, as people are being saved, one of the results is that they thank God and therefore glorify him. As we are saved, as we thank God for all things, that is part of how we glorify God or how we worship him. Or as the psalmist says in Psalm 50, 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. That is that when we are thanking God, when we recognize that all things come to, from him, that is a form of sacrifice and worship to the Lord. Right? That as you know, God didn't desire simply bulls and goats and physical animals, but he cared for the heart behind those animals. And so one of the greatest forms of worshiping, of sacrifice to our God was thanksgiving. And this is why not giving thanks or thanklessness is a sin. Another passage we've looked at before, Romans 1, 21. Right there, Paul is describing the depravity of sin, the, the fallenness of all of us as human beings, what we've done by rejecting him. And he says this, for although they, that is we as people, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the very beginning. Paul is describing how the spiral of sin starts. And he's saying that the spiral of sin starts with us not giving thanks to God. 
The core of our sin was refusing to honor God as God. The core of our disbelief was not giving thanks to God and not recognize that all things come from him. I mean, you can even imagine how do non-believers think about what's going on here, right? You hear so many different mentalities. Some people say everything is just blind luck. There's no rhyme or reason for what happens. Everything is by chance. Other people say you are the master of your future. Right? You are the one that determines everything that happens. Have positive, good vibes and make your future a reality. And some people will say, no, there is everything determined by fate. Everything has been predetermined. But they say it in this sort of ambient way. Right? There's no personal hood behind it. It's not a personal God that directs all things, but it's this sort of impersonal force. It's a fatalism, right? Things just happen as they do. And in all of those mentalities, you are seeing the very core of sin. That we don't recognize that God is a creator of all things. And that the core of an unbeliever is a thankless heart. Because the core of all sin is the refusal to worship God as he is. And that is what thanklessness is. Not thinking God is the same as not worshiping him. Not thinking God is the same as disbelief. And that is the very core, the very primal aspect of sin. And you see that even in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they were given this wonderful, beautiful place. And the one instruction they were given is enjoy all the fruit of the garden. Enjoy everything I've given you. I've given you so much goodness. But do not eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then when Satan was tempting Eve, He tempted her by saying, if you eat this tree, you can be like God. You no longer have to recognize him as the being that he is. You can be like him. And that is the core of our sinful nature. That we as Christians, we are not thanking God. We do not acknowledge him as he is. And instead we turn and we make ourselves the center of the universe. And so this is why Paul commands us to give thanks. He says, you must give thanks to God because he is the one who has given you everything. You don't deserve any of it. And he is the one who deserves all worship and praise. So I ask you, just as we continue on, are you a believer that is marked by thanksgiving? Because thanking God is not something that is an option. It's not something we do just when life is going well. But it's something that we are called to do all the time, every single day of this life. Because that is how we honor God. That's how we recognize that all things come from him. There's a third and final thing. You know, many of you know, uh, many of you are parents. uh, You know, you had uh, Christmas time just around the corner recently. And I'm sure many of you had kids where they were looking very gleefully at the presents. They were so excited to open them. And so they, they rip open all the presents. They see all the great, you know, gifts and gasmos that you got them. And then they just turn and play with it. And some of you as parents will look at your kid kind of with your teeth there saying, what do you say? And the kids will go, thank you. Right? And that, that's all you want to hear, right? You just want to hear them say thanks. That's not a bad thing, right? You want to build good habits into your kids. Uh, But if you're being, you know, fully transparent, we know that most of that is this very kind of external thing, right? If a kid was truly grateful, they would just want to say it. I thank you so much, mom and dad, for what you've given us. 
And yet oftentimes in part of the parenting, part of the training, a process, you're just teaching them the externals, hoping that one day that will be rooted in the heart. And so when you think about thanksgiving to God, the danger of hearing all of this is you can have this mentality. Okay, I am called to give thanks to God. I recognize that all things from from God. So I'm going to make a list. I'm going to make sure that five times a day I thank the Lord for everything, and then I'm good. And if you do that, to the outside, to the people at church, you will look like a very thankful person. But you'll fall into exactly what Jesus warns us in Matthew 15, 8. That this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's important to build the right habits. It's important to build the right kinds of actions. And yet, it must be motivated from the right heart. As much as you may want your kids to say thanks, if it's not truly coming from that right heart, it's just something that you're controlling and causing. And so as we're turning to our last part, right, first of all, we saw that Thanksgiving is, is comprehensive. We are supposed to thank God for all things. Secondly, Thanksgiving is something that's commanded. We must do it because God has told us to. But thirdly, we see this. Thanksgiving is Christ-empowered. It is something that only comes from him. We are not able to force ourselves to give thanks. And another analogy that was used by one of the preachers that spoke here in the last couple months, I don't remember who was this. Right? Imagine that you have this, this, this bed of flowers and it dies. You know, I'm not a good gardener. I've killed anything I've ever tried. But imagine how absurd it would be if I, if I took live flowers, I went over to Vaughn's or Albertson's and I would cut off the front of it and I stapled those live flowers onto the dead tree. And I look at that thinking, look how beautiful my rose bed is. We know even intrinsically how absurd that is, right? You can't staple something live onto a dead thing, hoping that it'll turn alive. And so just in the same way, we as Christians in all areas of obedience, but especially thankfulness, we can't just tack on something to the front, hoping it'll stick. The true way that we grow in thankfulness in the same way that we grow in any area of righteousness, must be from a changed heart. It must be from Christ. And this is what you see here in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's a very intentional phrase, in you, in Christ Jesus. When Paul talks about you being in Jesus or him being in you, it's speaking to this idea of the spiritual union we have with Christ, that we have become one with him. And one of the analogies you hear from Paul a lot is that the Christ is the body or that Christ is the head of the church and the church is the body of Christ. It's an analogy of a human body. And that picture comes from the reality that we, as the church, we as Christians, we've been joined one with Christ. That's why he's the head and we are the body. We become one organism, so to speak. And so it's in that union, it's in that joining with him that we are able to live according to his ways. A very famous passage is John 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What, what Jesus is saying there, what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians is that we can't change our nature on our own. 
You can't pursue true righteousness just by trying harder. But the way that you grow in this understanding of righteousness is by abiding in Christ. Is that by him being in you and you being in him, you being connected with the source of righteousness. And through there, you are able to see a changed heart. It's being in Jesus Christ that we can be changed. And that is something you see in all of Paul's letters. And look back and see how many times he says, in Christ, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ. Because Paul is referring to the fact that you cannot do anything on your own. But the only way that you as a Christian could do anything that is good or righteous is by being in Jesus, is by being connected to him. Right in Ephesians 5, 4, he says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He's saying that in that section, your old way of life must go away. That you can either choose to pursue your old self or your new self. And as a Christian, you must put off your old self. You must take it off and instead pursue the new self, which is the way of righteousness. And so as Christians, only if you are a Christian, you can put off your old speech, the crude manner of talking, and instead pursue thanksgiving. The only way that you can have words of life and light is if you are connected with a God of light. As long as you are in the darkness, you can only speak words of darkness. But when that change has happened, when you've been connected with God, when you abide in him, then you can thank God truly and from the heart. Another place where you see this change is in Ephesians 5, 18 and 20. Paul there says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you guys see what Paul is saying there? He's saying, I want you to not pursue your old way. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't pursue the ways of debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, be connected with God, be dependent on Him. And in that you can give thanks. The giving of thanks is not something that comes arbitrarily. It's not something that comes on its own. It's something that comes through God working in you. It's through you being in Christ Jesus. And that is why you must be a believer before you can think about anything else here. The only way you can see a very true heart change, a very true behavior change, is not by trying harder. It's not by doing more. But it's first and foremost having Jesus working in you by being changed by the gospel, by repenting of your sins. And that is why if you're not yet a believer, you must repent. You must turn to him if you want to see any kind of real change in our lives. The last thing I'll say here before we close is that when you're thinking about thankfulness, or if you're thinking about any kind of human or righteousness change, it's not something that can be pursued individually. Right, think of any area of your life that you want to work on. Let's say you feel like you're jealous or you feel like you're always angry or you feel like you're always bitter. Any of these things isn't something that you can target individually. Right? It's not like I'm going to say, I'm going to only work on my bitterness for the next two months. But all of those different types of changes work together as God is working in you. Right? Think of the, the fruits of the Spirit. 
Many people say, I want to grow in love or I want to joy in, in, I want to grow in joy. They, they'll, they'll choose one of those things, right? You hear a lot of Bible lessons about that. But the idea of what Paul is saying is that the fruit of the Spirit is that when the Holy Spirit is in you, when God is working in you, you will grow in all of that because God is the one that brings it. And in the same way, when you're thinking about thankfulness, it's not something that comes on its own. Hey, that's why, you know, Tim was reading from this whole passage in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, because when you hear the first three verses, or the last three here, you hear this, right? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The grammar there is very intentional, because all three commands come parallel. See, Paul is not just saying, I want you to give thanks because you're in Christ. But the idea is that when you are a Christian, when you've been changed, you now have the ability to rejoice and to pray without ceasing and to give thanks to God because all three of those commands, all three of those actions are something that must come from a changed heart. That when you've been changed, you now have the ability to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. And so in closing, remember this, that you, as you're looking at the topic of thanksgiving, and that you're looking at the idea of thankfulness, you can't grow in thankfulness simply by trying more, by telling yourself that you have to, or or telling your, your children that they have to. But the true spirit of thankfulness comes by God working in you. That when Jesus is present in your life, as you are confessing your sin, as you are turning away from your old ways of life, as you are enjoying the the, the grace of the church, accountability of all of us coming together and admonishing and encouraging one another, that as we are pursuing Christ's likeness, as he is growing a desire to be like him in our hearts, that is how we be thankful. As you're thinking about your life, as you're thinking about 2020, as you're thinking about what we as a church look like or how we want to grow, as you're thinking about the topic of thankfulness, yes, we should be thankful. I hope and I pray that we as a church will be known for our thankfulness to God. And when people see us, when they talk with us, there will be such a different countenance with us. And I say this knowing very much that my natural tendency is not thankfulness. Yeah, I, before all of us, still need to grow in that area. And yet this is what God has called us to do. We as a church, if we understand that all things come from the Lord, if we understand that nothing we have is something that we are owed, that we should instead result in thankfulness. It's something that is a command, and yet it's something that we must beg God to do. As you're thinking about your own life, how much are you begging the Lord to change you? Because apart from that prayer, apart from our dependence in him through his word, any attempt to grow in thankfulness will just be skin deep. It'll just be a behavior modification, an external modification. But if we want to see true thankfulness, God has to do a working miracle in us. And so that's what I pray for us. I pray that that's something you pray for yourselves. And if we learn how to be more thankful, maybe we'll be a little bit less ungrateful at the holiday time. Let's pray.
Father, we recognize and we confess that we are powerless on our own. And I pray that this upcoming year, you would do such a change in all of our hearts, in this congregation, that we would be a church body, that when new people come in, they would see truly the character of Christ here, the heart of Christ here. And I pray that you would help all of us as believers to grow in this heart of thankfulness. That that would be the the mantra of our lives, that we would give more because we are thankful, that we would be encouraging more to people because we are thankful, that we would be able to go through hard times in this life because we are thankful to you. And so I pray, God, that you would make us a body, a believers who are faithful to what you have called us. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.